and welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 551, being recorded on July 24, 2019. I'm Sebastian Peake. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. Behind the red mic tonight, uh, Brett Van Spruenberg. Ooh. You know, that, that red mic, it, it, it illuminates your face nicely. It gives you a nice orange, you know, kind of ruddy glow. Oh, thank you. It's uh, just not my usual complexion. Uh, Jim actually convinced me to buy this by putting it on the Amazon sale page on PC Perspective. Why would you do wow, such what a thing? chill you are. Yeah. And I like it. I, I like the rosy hue from that quadcast microphone. Hmm. Uh, well, if you're watching this, this is live. Hot. It is very hot. If you're watching this live, you know all about our live podcast. And hopefully you're on our spam list, which is only affectionately called the spam list it's actually just an email list we only use it to email you when we're about to go live whether it's for a weekly podcast or some potential live stream at some point in the future which i'd like to start doing again so uh with that out of the way uh let's get right into it because we have a lot to talk about even though we don't have that many topics super happened again uh i know it because i've been awake for i don't know how many hours interspersed with brief naps in the nighttime but we've got yet another July graphics card launch under our belts. I pray it's over and I can sleep easy tonight. But I've been living this stuff for days. I'd like to hear what you guys think about the super launch. Who wants to go first? Are you are you excited about this one? Were you underwhelmed by this one? What do you think about the 2080 super? You know, initially I, I was kind of excited about it. I thought it would be, you know essentially an $1,100 card that that would be, you know, down in the $699 range, which would be a nice choice for gamers. But it didn't quite happen that way. I mean, it's better performance than a 2080, but it's not anywhere near a 2080 Ti, correct? Not even close. Yeah, nope. and so... Four, you know, we, five, with the, six percent... Yeah, with the 2060 Super and the 2070 Super, I mean, you essentially got almost, with the 2060 Super, almost 2700 performance, and the 2070 Super was almost 2080 performance. And so I was thinking maybe maybe we can get a little closer to that 2080 Ti, give people a taste of the good stuff. But Sorry about alas, that, Josh. Yeah, it is not to be. So this is what you get with a maxed out TU-104. That's it. It's nothing yeah. left. Nothing left in that tank. That's it. Just two more SMs. That's all they had left in the tank. But they could they could boost the clock speeds, and they've pumped up the memory speed. Josh, to the I, fastest GDDR6 ever. Yeah. Josh, or whoever right. wants to answer this, whoever knows more about this than me, is there a good way of measuring memory bandwidth versus being like gpu bound at what point is it is it textures what is it that would really push memory speed to say that that 15.5 really made a difference over 14 it's going to take me a while to remember what that is yeah previously it would be all texture because you were streaming in textures from memory and data was very very small a lot of it probably could fit in the really really small caches of previous gpus and uh, then we got to a point where, you know, textures got a lot larger and they were stored in memory and you needed to access them. And, and all that extra memory speed really, really helped with the texture stuff. But now we've got such a mix of data in, in memory that uh, and such large caches 
in GPUs that I mean, you know, you you've seen it yourself. You you start overclocking memory, and you see nothing in the past. You start overclocking memory, and you get significant improvements. And you overclock the GPU with that, and and you get more improvements. And and it's all really happy until you you hit these peaks, and then we got to the point where. You know, power to the board was you could only, you know, overclock the GPU so far and the memory so far before you really start limiting, you know, by how much power you can pull from the PCI Express, uh, you know, uh, slot and the uh, the extras. And, and now it's to the point where you overclock memory and you're do what a, you know, would consider a, a pretty significant memory overclock and you're getting one to two percent improvement and even then that's that's kind of lost in the noise of individual benchmark runs i i mean i've experienced that myself with this latest generation uh maybe i was not as extreme as i needed to be but is this similar to what your overclocking experiences are myself yeah and yes. actually it seems we've we've got about as much out of touring as i think we're going to get to you 104 if you look at the founders edition of the 2080, which was clocked a little bit higher than a stock 2080. That was 1,710 megahertz, I think, something like that. And this is 1,815, I believe. So it's 105 megahertz overclock uh, already, or higher clock. So then you that was pretty much in line. If you look at launch reviews of the 2080 Founders Edition, people were overclocking it somewhere in that 105 range in their overclocking testing pretty safely. So then you just go right up to that 1815 number for the boost clock. And of course, it always boosts longer. And we'll talk about cards that can boost for longer durations, which you probably, I don't know if you can see this or not, but if you have better cooling and you know you increase the power limit, you can boost at higher clocks for longer durations. But essentially, that 1815 number was probably about as high as we could have expected from them, I have seen cards, like I know Asus with the RG Strix cards, I think I've seen one up to 1885 out of the box, somewhere in that range, 1890. But uh, as I discovered when I was overclocking the CVGA card over the last few days, it doesn't really go a whole lot higher than that. And in fact, even the FTW3 hybrid-cooled card from EVGA is only 30 megahertz above the Founders Edition card. So... I don't think there's a whole lot left on the table. I think somewhere around 2100 megahertz boost is pretty much all you're going to get without some more exotic cooling or maybe a better binning. Or if if you're better at overclocking than I am and know the magic of voltages and you know undervolting and overvolting and how to get to 2200 megahertz, that would be probably the practical limit of this. But this is full TU-104, 3072 shader cores, I think. And everything's a little bit higher because you have those extra two SMs enabled. So I, one interesting thing about this is it's just, it's free performance upgrade. Sure. It's very minor. If you look through the charts in any of the reviews, including ours, you're going to see somewhere between like one and three, four, five, 6%. I'm thinking one to three in the overclocking testing. Um, the actual real testing, the, the stock testing was about 5% over the 2080 founders edition NVIDIA said it was going to be closer to about 6% over stock. I didn't test a stock card. I didn't have any stock cards. I had a couple overclocked cards in the Founders Edition card. But yeah, about 5% faster. And compared to Founders Edition, it's $100 less. I always forget that. And it's 
we've been reminded of this in the comments for years now is founders edition is more expensive. It's a hundred dollars more. So you got the higher clocks out of the box paid for it. So we were talking about a $799 card versus this new $699 card. I think one of the big things about this, and maybe this was pressure from AMD. I don't know if you guys have thoughts on this, but with AMD coming out with a pretty fast card with the 5700 XT at 399, Nvidia made this choice to sell Founders Edition cards without the $100 premium. So the 2070 Super, which is a Founders Edition card that I reviewed, it, you can buy it straight from Nvidia when available for straight up 499. It's not 599, and this new card is 699, not 799. Does that appeal to any of you the fact that you can get the Founders Edition cooler and the slightly higher clocks without paying any more than a stock card. Yeah, that's that's certainly interesting. And especially the 2070 Super. I mean, that just seems like it's it's, you know, if if you're a really kind of higher end enthusiast, that's it's the card to get. I mean, you're you're going to be running uh, you know, cooler and less power than the 5700 XT. Uh, I've heard some interesting coin wine issues, coil wine issues mm-hmm. with the uh 5700 series. Hmm. Whether or not that's yeah, have you have you experienced that, Sebastian? With no, your testing? and I, I literally stand here, running. Most okay, of so my, maybe that's probably just a one-off from a guy. It's you know, like, a, it's right there. So yeah, I'm a foot and a half away from it, and I never heard coil wine. I did hear. Yeah. Here's the thing about coil wine: it's not always the GPU. It's sometimes the PSU. I've had that before, where I I absolutely could not try i had a what what were those huge overbuilt msi the lightning the really really big over yeah, i had a lightning, lightning the the r920 290x lightning card and the worst coil line i've ever heard in my life but uh swapping different cards i actually heard some of the same sounds it turns out that the psu i was using Something about the power delivery to that card and the PSU was screaming. So I got a different PSU, one from Silverstone that had actual, I don't remember what it had in it, like resistors or something on the actual cables. And that was supposed to cut down on coil noise somehow. That was the, it was the Strider, uh, like the 1000P. You can check it on their website. There's some spiel about it, but it kind of worked. But in the end, that was still a noisy card. I don't know if it was... Just the card, card plus PSU. I use a RM1000X. It's a Corsair 1000-watt gold-rated mm. power supply. I think a lot of people use that one. And was not particularly noisy. I have had NVIDIA cards with some very obvious noise. And I think the 2060 Founders Edition had some noise. It, it's not that loud. I mean, it was still like 33, 34 decibels at idle. But yeah, I've heard the noise. And... I don't think I heard it at all with the Radeon cards, but yeah. But anyway, you know, like the 2060 Super, I think is probably the best buy out of the entire Supers, just because it's a yeah. 399. You have overclock stuff out pretty much already. You get the full eight gigs and a 256 bit bus. Because I was running uh, what Far Cry Five on that uh, 2060, the standard 2060, and it's getting close to that. You know how much uh, VRAM is being used. And this, mm-hmm. you know, and, and Far Cry Five is a year old, uh, high end title, and yeah. so it's it's having that a little extra room is extremely nice. But yeah, I just don't see the 
I don't see the value proposition of the 2080 Super as compared to just a regular RTX 2080. Oh, I, by the way, I think it's pretty clear that you would not have seen these prices without without market pressure. So just answer to yeah. the question. No doubt. Yeah, I I kind of agree with that. I I'm I was surprised that they didn't go higher. I mean, I I would have assumed that the the stock prices would have remained the same, but I am a little surprised to see them do Founders Edition with no premium, which also to me says that Founders Edition might be a limited run. Like we saw the 2060 Founders Edition just disappear. Basically, now on their website it just like shows like how to buy and shows you different uh, third-party like board partners that have 2060s. There's still a 2070 Founders Edition, the, the Super, and there's still a 2080 Super Founders Edition that'll be available, but I can't imagine they would want to continue making those long-term without selling them at a premium, or maybe, who knows? If they're selling them direct, I guess they don't really care, but it's interesting to me. But anyhow, uh, we looked at the Founders Edition card, I didn't do any overclocking testing. Like I said, I didn't have really high expectations because I've I've done a bunch of overclocking with touring over the last six or seven months, and it always seems like you can get like 90 megahertz or something out of it over whatever the default clock is, sometimes a little bit less. I've yet to have a, a really great OC scanner result. I think the highest one I ever got was in the high 60s, uh, which tells you basically how high you can overclock the core safely after it does a bunch of testing. But the power limit on the very next card that we tested, which was EVGA's hybrid cooled. So it's got an Asetek 120 millimeter liquid cooler on the core. And then it's got your standard blower sort of reference design for the VRMs. Very quiet fan, though. It doesn't sound like a blower cooler. And by default, it's very quiet. There's an OC switch on the side of the thing. That doesn't actually change the clock speeds, but it changes the fan profile to the aggressive profile, which should encourage some higher um, boost clocks, longer duration boost clocks. But the thing has a 130 watt power limit. And out of the box is a 30 megahertz overclock. Not big, obviously, but it very quiet, keeps things really, really cool. Uh, I mean, we're talking almost a 10 degree drop at load. From 72, I think, down to 53 in the same games, same testing. So, uh, not 72 to 53. What am I saying? It was in the, I don't remember what my review says, 59? It was around 10 degrees. It was significant and not really very loud. Uh, at standard profile, I mean, I got 34.5 decibels out of it at idle, and that's mostly pump noise. And that is with the, I had a tripod here, and with my sound pressure meter pointed, this sound pressure meter pointed directly at the pump from 12 inches away. I was getting 34.5 decibels in the completely silent room. So you could hear the pump, just that very slight kind of pump noise. It's a little bit higher pitch noise than a fan, but once the fan spooled up or even when my CPU cooler fan was spooled up, I couldn't hear the pump anymore. And the loudest I ever got this thing was like just under 39 decibels. And that was when I had an aggressive fan profile set. So very, very quiet, very low temperatures. So what can that do? Like, is there overclocking headroom? And really not that much. My plus 90 megahertz overclock over the 30. So a grand total of 120 megahertz overclock. Uh, provided me with one to three percent higher 
frame rates. I mean, you can throw Assassin's Creed Odyssey out of the mix. If you're watching the video, you can see that's up on the screen. That's the worst game to test for consistency. I do way more than three runs averaged on that one because character models seem to be all over the place where they are, when they're going to be, how close to the camera they're going to be when you start the run, if you're using the built-in benchmark, which is supposed to be the really consistent, repeatable benchmark, which is why I favor those, especially for CPU testing. But that one's kind of out. Little to no change there, overclocked. Highest I ever saw was like 72 frames per second out of that one. So not approaching a 2080 Ti at all. Far Cry 5 is a much more consistent benchmark. That one... Again, just a couple percentage points faster than the stock 2080 Super. You're still not coming close to a 2080 Ti. That was the sort of that was a disappointing thing to me about this. I thought, and traditionally with NVIDIA cards, and I've been doing this back since I think I got started buying and trying to overclock my own cards in the the 500 series. So not for, not that long ago, but I got a 560 Ti and tried to turn it into a 570, and actually pretty much did. If I overclocked the core high enough, overclocked the memory, they had that kind of in-between card, the 448 core version of it. Now it was easy to reach 570 levels. You could almost get to 580 levels with a really highly overclocked 570. And it's just always been that way. And in this era, the, the 20 series TI is so much faster, has so many more CUDA cores from TU-102 that... It's just no contest. And you can take the full TU-104 and overclock it 120 megahertz total and still fall way short of a 2080 Ti. And I don't relish the fact that the 2080 Ti is still $500 more expensive for the Founders Edition than the, the 2080 is. But, I mean, if you want the absolute fastest single card, you certainly are paying for it. I would love to see it at like seven ninety nine, eight ninety nine, because it's it's definitely two hundred dollars faster. I don't know if it's five hundred dollars faster. What's the uh, uh, what's the price bump on the EVGA hybrid over the uh, over the reference? At launch, it's seventy bucks. So they're selling oh. it for seven sixty nine on their website on EVGA.com. It's a fifty dollar instant rebate. I don't know if that's going to translate to the other retailers when they get it in stock. The MSRP on it is eight oh nine. If you wanted to buy one of their hybrid cooling kits for the FTW cards, which are not a standard PCB. This is a custom PCB. It's very large. It's a more than an inch taller than a standard PCB. And to get an FTW three compatible kit, I think they're $166 on Newegg when I looked this morning. So just thinking about like throwing in your own budget 120 millimeter cooler and some sort of a bracket to install it, you're well over that $70. So I thought that was kind of a nice value add. If you're interested in like this kind of cooling solution, $70 extra over a stock card to get you a small factory overclock, but the potential to run a lot cooler. And in some other cases, like there's an upcoming review that I have that will probably illustrate this best. Silverstone has sent over one of their mostly glass enclosures. And we saw some stuff at Computex, like the LDO3 was announced. I have an LDO1 which are like these glass boxes, basically. And you would never want to put like a 2080 Ti or maybe even an overclocked 2080 in these things unless you had just amazing... I don't, I don't even know. Like not with the front glass panel. You, you don't want to pop box your card. So something like this might be interesting because then you can put a more powerful GPU in a smaller enclosure that doesn't have great airflow. So that's kind of what I was thinking for this card with the next project. But 
I don't know. Like, I don't know if either, any of you guys are like if the all-in-one hybrid design appeals to you at all, or if you even think 30 megahertz, because if it's all about performance, it's only 30 megahertz additional speed. Is that worth $70 to you? Or certainly is it worth $110 at MSRP? Nah. Yeah. It, I like, I like water cooling. I mean, okay. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, you couldn't really buy a block and put this underwater for $110, probably. Right. No. Blocks usually no. start at like 130 140 Yeah. If you're going to so, water cool, you, you have to pay for it. I mean, we know this. And so, yeah, yeah. if you want to stick with a water-cooled system with all in one on your CPU and one on your GPU, and, you know, it's you, you pay for that. And there's many people that are willing to. I just don't happen to count myself among them. Yeah, and it's not a uh, it's not a huge bump in price. No. I mean, if you're paying no. seven hundred bucks for a uh, a GPU, then another seventy is you know it's ten yeah. percent. It's it's not a huge increase in the overall cost, especially if you're already looking in that price range. And uh, yeah, it, it has some cooling and, and quiet capabilities that a regular GPU will not have, and it's something that's kind of neat. The only issue that I have is all-in-one coolers are, you know, they they have a lifespan. I mean, sure, it's it's like you know a five-year lifespan, but it's there nonetheless. And as we are slowing down with GPU uh, releases, seemingly, uh, there's more of a chance you're going to pass that off to uh, somebody else that you know. And uh, yeah, I, I would be curious what what the the lifetime. Uh, the lifespan of, of that cooling system is with this particular card. But who knows yeah. in five years, I mean, boy, I'm looking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking back five years ago, what we had for products and it was all in the, uh, what, uh, hmm, the 900 series. I think so. Yeah. The 700, 900 series. I still have uh, 700 cards hanging around here that were in use until recently. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough to say, but you know, one thing I did want to mention and yes. talking about modern GPUs is, you know, both AMD and Nvidia have put hardware in there that allows them to clock up consistently into, you know, boost clocks and really regulate voltage internally, uh monitor how things are going. And so even when you overclock it, so as, as you've probably seen yourself, you do a, a you know, a voltage offset, you know, you increase the voltage, and then you you do a, a clock, you know, a base clock offset, and that pops it up. But, you know, for like, in for instance, I'm, I'm testing an MSI board that it runs at like 1920 megahertz, no matter what. You increase the voltage, you increase the, the power percentage. You you do the offset and sure and when it's cool and it hasn't run it it pops up to like two gigahertz, you know twenty twenty and then really really quickly it 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 notches itself down because that's that internal kind of controller that Nvidia has and AMD has implemented that really controls the clock speed so it'll be stable and work, but yeah you just don't get these these bleeding edge. Uh, overclocks unless you really really push it with superior cooling and 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 you know possibly some 
liquid nitrogen and but yeah it's it's just there's they're so they are running on the ragged edge when they come off of the of the fab floor and are packaged and it's i mean it's just uh overclocking is is becoming superfluous it, it just is it passe is it passe to overclock now John? you know it's it's unfortunate i mean sure if you go you know really crazy with the ln2 and uh you know can get some some serious clocks in at a short period of time and are able to do that but you know we're, we're, we're well past the celeron a stage where you can get a 50 percent overclock you know <laughs> yeah. you're running 300 megahertz and suddenly you just pop a couple of jumpers and you're you've got a 450 megahertz processor that is just as fast as the Pentium 3 450, if not a little bit faster in ways, and you paid one-third the price. It was a wonderful time to be alive and experience that kind of thing. But we're we're just not there anymore. It's, it's uh, you know, technology has become, I mean, you've got 8 to 12 billion transistors in a die, and it's pulling 150 watts. I mean, there's only... Only so far those things can kick without a massive change in materials like carbon nanotubes and some other exotic materials that they're that they're that they're working on. It's just not gonna happen. I mean, we're gonna be happy with our close to two gigahertz with with NVIDIA stuff and a little bit lower for, for AMD. And that's where we're gonna sit for a while. Okay. I've seen some uh, reports, somebody pushing a 5700 underwater, getting it close to 2 gigahertz, and uh, it basically just got hot. You know, did not okay. <laughs> not a lot of performance mm-hmm. out of it. Oh, okay. It I thought you were going to say, hot. no ramifications, it's better performance. No, it just, just got, got hot. hot. But no, it just got hot. No, no, okay. no, no it didn't get not a lot of performance. It just got hot. I think they're pushing those pretty hard, too. Like, we saw Radeon 7. Yeah. That's Vega being pushed about as far as you can push it without putting it underwater. And then I don't know how much more performance can be had out of those. We've heard things about underclocking them. And then there's the whole soft table mod stuff, which I have not gotten into at all. But anyway, we will have a retro podcast at some point, Josh, you and me. We're going to have to do this. Talk some old tech. I'm sure people would absolutely love it. Drive Jim absolutely out of his mind. Let's move on. There was one more quick review. Uh, I took a look at Lexar. Uh, Yes, Lexar. That Lexar. The memory card masters from days gone by. They they kind of disappeared. We thought Micron was looking for a buyer. I saw it with great chagrin, if that's the word I'm thinking of. I had bought one of those P20, the super fast, uh, inexpensive. I think I paid twenty dollars for it, and it was like four hundred megabytes per second reads off of a thumb drive. And then boom, discontinued. And I had put up a little review of it and everything on the site, and then it was gone, sold out everywhere. And I, then I found out, oh, they were looking for a seller, and they announced that they were getting out of the storage business, business entirely. Well, they found a buyer. I think I said they were looking for a seller. They found a buyer, and Longsys, which is a Chinese company I've never heard of, but apparently they've been around for a long time. They bought them, and they are back at it. They have a full line of products. I was kind of looking through the website. They've got SSDs and thumb drives. All the jump drives are back, and, of course, SD cards and uh, their 2019 lineup includes NVMe SSDs and SATA and then a a fast external drive. We'll talk about that in a minute and the kind of surprising lack 
of USB 3.1 Gen 2 drives out there. I was surprised. I thought the T5 from Samsung was, and it turns out that's only Gen 1. And there's not a lot out there. If you look on B&H Photo right now, I believe there are two. One of them is this drive, and the other one's a brand new SanDisk uh, Extreme Pro, I think, that was just that's being released in August, or maybe the end of this month. It's not even out yet. So this is one of the only Gen 2 drives out there, unless you make one yourself with an enclosure like that Oracle enclosure I reviewed a short time ago. But uh, anyway, I know, Josh, uh, we've all been kind of like talking. There's some chatter on Twitter today, if you follow any of us, about storage and some of these inexpensive drives like you were talking about last week that have TLC storage and aren't a whole lot more expensive than a 660p and this is another example of that and it's kind of it's very similar it's a SM2263 XT controller it's one of those DRAMless designs using 3D TLC NAND and it's rated at 2100 megabytes per second reads 1600 writes those are sequential numbers like high Q depth sequential numbers so, I mean, so they would essentially similar. match the 660p's in in overall performance, you know, for the most part. Except they probably wouldn't have the QLC issues, you yeah. know, when when they're getting pretty full. Yeah. Well, I balance mean, that and, with a no cache, though. Right. Yeah. You do run yeah. into uh, sequential was okay. I mean, if you look at the numbers, and I just did some quick benchmarks. I'm just trying to get a baseline for these drives. I'm no Malvin Tano or anything. But if you look at the results from just default test results from Crystal Dismark, ASSSD, Addo, and then I reran Addo at QD1 just to see what some of the lower uh, transfer sizes were actually doing. And there's a, a drop, but I mean, it's not, this is not a bad performing drive. Like you're, it hit almost its rated speed at QD32. It was at like 2077, 2078, somewhere in there of its 2100. And then it was a little bit faster on writes. Uh, and this is actually on this system behind me. This is a Ryzen 9 3900X on a, uh, X570 board. It's the Asus ROG Crosshair 8 Hero Wi-Fi motherboard. So getting some quick, a feel of like NVMe performance on that drive. Of course, I don't have my PCIe 4 drive in there yet, but, uh, it was fine. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers from, I was looking at Alan's review of, of some of the older SSDs, like this is pretty similar actually to a newer drive, the Corsair P1, S- sort of similar numbers. It's it's lower than some, it's higher than others, definitely higher than some of the QLC drives that are available. So, I mean, if you're looking at like a DRAMless, inexpensive drive, and this drive I believe is selling for about $65 right now for this 480 gigabyte capacity. It's not bad. I mean, I think the Intel drive is 55 to 60. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's so inexpensive. Mm-hmm. It just boggles the mind. I remember buying, you know, a 500, no, a 480 gig, uh, you know, uh, BPX, not the BPX Pro, but the BPX. And it was, yeah. you know, this is a $220 drive at the time. And now we're, one third that, and it makes me sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Real quick, let's sad. go to the next John, one. No, don't, get, don't get sad. Don't get sad. It's a good thing. Hey, by, by the way, as uh, as part of your your website uh, review process, I think maybe your pricing drop down might not be correct at the top of the page. Yeah, we want to take a look police. at that. Tacking yep, me. That's, oh no, that's yep. oh no, that's the placeholder. It's like some. I think that's a scythe cooler. 
placeholder. Yes. All right, I will fix yeah, that. I, I will fix right. that. I didn't do that. Okay. Yep. Uh, the, your citation is in the mail. Uh, all right, I fail again. <laughs> you know, Jim wouldn't have shamed me on the podcast like this, Brett. Yeah, he would have. Know. Yeah, he, yeah would. He, he probably would. Have. We could ask him, but he's not gonna. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna bother him about this. But, but look at the next drive. Just, just, just to see the internals of it because this is hilarious to me. Open up the shell of this. Uh, I think it's the LS200 SATA drive. Look at that thing in there. It's just ridiculous. No way. That's all. That's all. It's in there. It's mostly an empty. It's a shell. lot of negative space. What, what would Alan say? Speaking, <laughs> architecturally speaking, you know that's that's very aesthetically pleasing. Is it? Okay. Sure. Why not? Let me ask. You're getting a free caddy with it. It's a M SATA drive with a free caddy. Why didn't they but make it you, double ended? They could put a whole other SSD in the back end. Oh, think about it. Dual booting the old-fashioned way, two drives in one. All right, I'll email them about this. Or really, oh, what I need to do is ask them for a second one so I can just Dremel the other side and put a connector on both ends of it. Exactly. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Read zero I can, yeah. when I can. NVIDIA <laughs> on one side, AMD on the other, one <laughs> SSD, two GPU test benches. Problem solved. Uh, there's there's yeah. a patent in there. You should get on that. I think so. What's interesting is if you look on the other side of this, where you can see the controller, this is pretty much the same thing as a Crucial MX500. or a, my, Yeah, it's Crucial MX500. Mm-hmm. So the SM2258H controller, you've got some SK Hynix RAM in, in there. It's a 512 megabyte module. And then the Lexar memory, from what I was looking up online from the numbers, is actually just like Micron. It's 3D TLC NAND. So... Performance, you would expect it to be somewhere around the MX500 because it's pretty much the same internals. And writes came up short in just in my brief testing of what they'd advertised, which was up to 510 megabytes per second. This is the 480 uh, megabyte or gigabyte version again, uh, just like the NVMe drive. They have a smaller and a larger, so it sits right in the middle. And performance was fine. I mean, it's a SATA drive. And at this point, most of them can pretty much saturate, saturate the SATA 6 gigabit bus. And it's no, it's not going to be as fast as the fastest like Samsung Evo or Pro drive, but it's. But you're not going to be paying that price, right? It's it's inexpensive. I mean, it's, we're not ten cents a gigabyte for these smaller drives yet, which would be great. I'd love to be able to say this is forty eight dollars. I believe it was fifty three when I checked, so it's close. Boy, what a but, what an inexpensive upgrade to an older machine. You got yeah. an older laptop, yeah, yeah, as a. You know, a, a 250 gig spinning rust drive and an instant upgrade that makes it feel so much snappier for how much? 55 bucks? Yeah, it was less than, it was 53 something. So, Jeez. do they ship with uh, cloning software like most of them do? I would assume. I, I should probably look in Don't the box think so. to see if there's a code in there. I didn't see one. I think Crucial does, like the Acronis stuff. Oh, Crucial does, Samsung does. I think all of them pretty much do. Just download Clonezilla. Just get a, your like. Yeah, open fair enough. Mm-hmm. Or uh, anyway. what? Uh, Partition Magic, Partition Wizard. No. That's another yeah, one. Yeah, Partition Wizard. Easy, cheap. You can find Three. it still. I will yeah, freely well, admit on this can. podcast. That I have, I have the desire to buy an old box copy of Partition Magic, and uh, and Boot Magic. I think it came with Partition Magic Five, though, maybe Four and Five. Uh, I don't remember. To put next to your WinRAR box. That's right. Well, actually, I don't have that either. 
I do have this I think copy a, of Windows 3.1. I think there's a whole podcast mixed up in with the let's buy old software and to play around with it. You know, I, every time I think I need all this old software, I'll watch an LGR video like when he recently toured this ridiculous computer warehouse uh, in Texas. And I'm like, this, this is so much more than I will ever have that there's no point. Like when I see him tour his own library of, of big box games, I'm like, he has all the games. He has like the best condition of the games. He only buys stuff if it's like a really nice box. He'll just, he'll let somebody else buy something at a Goodwill unless it's absolutely pristine and he doesn't have it. Like, you know what? I should be more like that. I shouldn't just buy this because I found it on eBay for $28. I should, .com I should leave it alone because you know what? The box is a little crushed on the side. It's not perfect. It wasn't sealed. You know what? I, I, it makes me realize that I'm kind of a hoarder and it makes me want to stop doing it. Let someone else collect and I'll just watch their videos whenever I feel like I have to look at old software. But where was I going with that? Oh, yeah. SL100 Pro is the USB-C external drive from Lexar. And this is interesting because I was unaware of the fact that even now, in the end of July 2019, there are very few, as in almost no, USB 3.1 Gen 2 Type-C external SSDs on the market that actually run above 540 megabytes per second, that are actually true Gen 2 drives. And I've... I've been running an external enclosure for a while with an NVMe drive thinking, oh, you know, everybody has these, and they don't. And this one, did, they came up short of its, like, theoretical maximum numbers, but I was still doing real-world file transfers where it was just a few minutes to put, like, 90 gigabytes of stuff on it. Plenty fast enough for moving large libraries, like Lightroom libraries and doing backups and stuff like that. And, you know... Windows caching was at play when I was doing some file transfer tests and I was trying to remember all of my, I was trying to remember all of what Alan has taught me over the years and forgetting almost everything, of course, but trying to expand, like get rid of all of the Windows caching and fill up the memory. And still, every time I would do a file transfer to this thing, it would go at like 1.4 gigabytes per second for a few seconds. And then it would drop down to like 700 It would go like half speed, but it would consistently be 700 for the rest of the transfer. So I don't know what's going on. If there's like internal caching, if this has DRAM, I did not tear it apart. I was looking for a way to open it and I figured that I would actually have to break the plastic trim to get it open. So I just said, forget it. But it's quite nice. Uh, pricing has been fluctuating a lot on it. I thought I saw this down in the 120s. It was selling for 143 when we published a couple days ago. So that's not super cheap, but if you look at the competition, the only other drive I could find was from SanDisk. It was an Extreme Pro that was rated at about 1,000 megabytes a second, and that was 189. So I was looking at the 500 gigabyte version. Lexar had sent over kind of the middle size for everything. It was all 480, 480, 500. So for less than 150 bucks, if you want something that's the size of a Samsung T5, so we're talking smaller footprint than a credit card, Less than half an inch thick. Uh, easy to throw in your bag as long as you remember to take one of the little dongles along with it. It'll plug in with any USB Type-C cable. It also came with a Type-A. Uh, Is that Type-A? Type-A and then, yeah, the larger... The thing that plugs into your printer is Type-B, right? And then Type-A is the standard connector and then Type-C is the new smaller connector. I feel like I'm mm-hmm. alone sure. here. Is there anybody sure. else on this podcast uh, with me? Okay, sure. yes, thank you. Hello, hello. 
we're all still awake. We're talking about dongles, and let's move on to the next story. Uh, you know what the best part about your shirt is? is? What? That is essentially from the AT Power generation. Uh-huh. Yes, if you if you haven't noticed, the shirt that I'm wearing this week is uh, it's not on joshtech.com, but if you want to support the site, you can go to joshtech.com and get shirts like Death Wish Raid, but I found this one which simply says it is now safe to turn off your computer, which as I'm actually obscuring it more as I try to show it than if I just stood still. That's but, better. Yeah, that is the that's the Windows 95 and I think 98 era splash screen that came up. Right, if you as long as you had an yeah, HPSU. Yeah, yeah. Because they they wouldn't shut down automatically. You had to log no. out of the computer and then physically hit a switch to turn it off. It was they, mind-boggling sure. at the Did time. They still have that big red paddle switch, or was that XT you know, or AT? Uh, uh, is it? I bet is you could get some AT. They were mostly era? XT. That's what I thought. Yeah, is three eighty six XT era or is that AT? Pretty sure it was XT. Or at least mine was. Clack. Okay. Yeah. Giant red toggle switch. That's when you knew you were right computing. over here. I have a <laughs> IBM clone from a vendor called Polysys, I think. Poly Systems, which has the giant red toggle on it. I know that the IBM PS2s have the big red toggle, but yeah, it's very satisfying to switch that thing on and off. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, and then of course the vanity shot of my Lexar 256 megabyte compact flash card that I have laying around here. Ooh. I made sure to send that to Lexar, my PR person. I'm like, hey, your review's up. And by the way, uh, I used this shot of an old Lexar card, obviously. Just that is the guys. picture. That is the photographic equivalent of a radio voice. Yeah. <laughs> and I that's I got that card, or I, I keep that card because, it, you know, speaking of old computers, you can use those as uh, old computer ID hard drives with an adapter. But enough about that nonsense let's move on to some news stories really quick let's breeze through i promise this would only be a 45 minute podcast it's already been 57 minutes and uh jeremy you posted up some news about no oh, wait tim posted this 55 well 855 plus i think the asus rog phone that was just announced is going to be the first one to use the plus but it's the new hotness from qualcomm Plus, so this is like one it's of those speed X. enhanced A seventy six based processor with A fifty five cores as well. It's it's. What are they doing with the graphics? It's just it's a power clock. tweak. It's a power okay. tweak. It, it just it's it's power and 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 clock. It's nothing new with the silicon. It's probably just more mature silicon on the process the process that they're using, and they can bend it a little bit better. I mean, it's it's pretty fast for you know a cell phone, SOC, but it's you know it's nothing new. But hey, we like speed bumps because remember back in the day when Intel and AMD would actually do speed bumps on CPUs throughout like a year or two years until they released their next generation stuff instead of just saying okay this is all it at the beginning and then it doesn't change for two years. Well, yeah. Qualcomm's taken up that lead. So if Asus has it, this, the phone, I have not held one of these things. The ROG Phone 2, which is not out yet, 
has it looks like it's a little bit deeper chassis. I wonder if they're doing something more with cooling to hit those. Like if you, if you want a game on it, you're going to want higher sustained clocks, and you're going to have to manage thermals better than it's the. Got a hundred and twenty hertz mm-hmm. OLED OLED. Yeah, that's yeah. just that's kind of ludicrous for a phone. I mean, it's it's you know design wise, that's that's a big jump up for ASUS. I mean, their 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 previous phones have done okay. And they've been kind of popular in certain areas, but you know they haven't they haven't really matched what the big guys have done. But is that uh, a headphone yeah, jack, or is, is that where you plug in the radiator? <laughs> it's water cooled. <laughs> oh, one more yes. up. One more up. No, it it comes with a, there you go. Uh, with, it comes with a detachable forty millimeter Asetek uh, AIO, <laughs> which exactly. I found convenient. You hang it around your neck on a chain. It's fine. It works fine. <laughs> Uh, let's move the on. Flavor uh, Flav own, phone. Yes. Our own Sebastian Peak wrote up news about the ASRock custom RX 5700 series graphics cards. They're factory overclocked. They have custom coolers that aren't blowers. Guys, are these the first RX 5700 coolers that don't blow? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was going to say cards. I screwed that up. I really hope so. ASRock uh, I mean, is really up their game. I gotta say, yeah. in the last four years, they have really revamped their their entire motherboard line, uh, and now the, you know people are talking about the the Tai Chi is as the board to get because the X three seventy and X four seventy Tai Chi boards were fantastic for what you paid for them, and they they gathered a following, and they've kind of revamped Asrock's image, and some of their other stuff is you know on the Intel side as as well. I mean, it's it's all part and parcel of, of what they're doing. And it's nice to see them actually have a pretty reasonable looking video card that they want to jump into. I mean, why not? Yeah. If you got a good design, if you can offer it for a good price, we'll see how it goes. But, you know, tie-in went into video cards for a while and Jetway did. Oh, gosh. Other guys. Now we're going down memory lane again. All right, they no, they, no, they stopped no, calling no. it Phantom Phantom Gaming, anyways, which I thought was dumb. Is it is it Phantom Gaming? Well, they have no a Phantom a new Challenger Game appears. Right? It's not it's not Phantom Gaming anymore. Their their previous oh, like five eighty okay. and what was that? Ooh, what was that? Phantom Phantom Gaming. gaming. Oh, Look at yeah. That. See yeah. the five seven. We asked, and and speaking of the Tai Chi, we asked, we begged. Well, not really, but we asked for a Tai Chi board, and they're like, we don't have any right now. Will you take one of these Phantom Gaming boards instead? I'm like, sure, that's fine. But they're in demand. Yeah, it's like Asrock seventy dollars. Nice more stuff. Board yeah. But the, but doesn't the, the name imply like not really there? What do you mean? That was that Phantom was the old gaming console, board. the Phantom console. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, we'll yeah, see yeah. how they uh, actually perform. I mean, it's a good looking design. I mean, it's 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 going to be you know some very very basic things in there, but you know it's got better cooling. Hopefully they mm-hmm. they improve some of the power delivery there, but we don't know much about it. I think it's their yeah. first real, you know, it's just a solid looking video card, and it probably is going to be a nice price, and it's going to be cooling so. better than stock fifty seven hundred XT. Indeed, yeah, it looks a wee bit heavy, it's not a blower, but... which will make people happy. Yeah, with yeah. the backplate, it's aluminum backplate, so it won't add a lot of weight, but still. Oh, okay, it looks heavy, All but right. it doesn't necessarily mean this. Moving I along. think. 
Finally, do we have a Jeremy post here? No, another Tim no. post. What the heck is going on? Jeremy, did you Other take the people and me work here. I don't believe it. All right. Uh, I'm sorry. No offense. Tim, you've been very productive lately. I didn't mean that as a slight whatsoever towards you. Uh, He's going to take vengeance on you. Oh, good one. I have nothing to say to that. Short story. Patrick Norton, who hosts a podcast with me uh, called This Week in Computer Hardware, he's been, he sent me a message. He's like, where are all the 32 gigabyte DIMMs? And I don't know if you know this, but Patrick has this potentially irrational desire to put everything into the smallest possible enclosure you've ever seen. So he's been scouring the interwebs for a 3900X, which he somehow wants to put inside of an enclosure that only allows, I think, up to a 40 millimeter CPU cooler height. So I keep telling him, get a 3700X. It's only 65 watts. You can put one of those tiny coolers on it. It'll be okay. But while he makes up his mind about that, he is looking for 32 gigabyte DIMMs. And he's like, is anybody making these? There's like a G-Skill one, but they want like all this money for it. So Corsair, they've got some new Vengeance LPX 32 gigabyte DIMMs coming. So if you're into mini ITX and only get two memory slots, but still want 64 gigabytes of RAM to make your massive workstation that fits inside of a shoebox, this starts to make sense. Or if you just, you know, want all the memory anyway, most motherboards only have four memory slots until you get into the high end desktop stuff. So I am curious, is there any news about pricing? Yes. Pricing is on here. You know, one forty nine ninety nine for a 32 gigabyte dim is not bad. That's for 2,400. Let's see. What's the highest clock? Looks like it only goes to 2666. So not super high clocks on these. Huh. What do you think? Is one 149 to 155 for a 32 gigabyte DIMM? That is dense memory. That's that's really good because if you think about the dual, you know, 2 by 16, they're they're now hitting prices for, you know, 2400 stuff about 110. So you can pack a lot of 32 gig DIMMs into a Threadripper or Whatever you want to do, I mean, yeah, yeah. You've got a desktop board, and you got 128 gigs of of memory on there. If you want, for less than 500 bucks, that's that's awesome. I like the uh, I like dense memory, and I cannot lie. What <laughs> else do we have on the list? Uh, okay, so there there's been some talk about this. And MSI has some new boards, and they're new AM4 boards, but they're not necessarily the newest chipset, and there's a reason for this. Uh, you know a little bit about this, guys. Uh, something about BIOS capacity limitations and supporting 3000 series and 2000 series without cutting out Max. the UEFI stuff. Max board. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, the, AM- the if, if, you, if you've noticed the latest boards from MSI, <clears throat> they've had uh, BIOS updates to them, and suddenly your really pretty U- UI, you know, GUI, 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 has turned into kind of an older school just text. Because to fit as many CPUs as they could into this, what is it, um, 16 gigabit chip? Mm-hmm. I think that's right. They had to... Deep six, all of the uh, all the the neat, neat graphical features and and the you know the the click UI or or whatever the hell they want to call it. Um, 
And that's fine with me because I kind of prefer the older stuff than the flashier things. But yeah, I mean they're they're running out of space in in these uh, in these firmware chips to handle all the 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 CPUs out there that AMD has for AM4 because that starts with <laughs> Bristol Ridge and it goes to the new 3000 series. I think Bristol Ridge is the correct one. But anyway, uh, they're now using a 30, no, a 256 megabit chip, 32 megabytes, and they support all of the AM4 CPUs with the fancier looking BIOS. And uh, I'm kind of curious if, okay, so the, the problem with a lot of the AM4 motherboards previously is AMD is really, really scared to run PCIe 4.0 over them because not all of them may work. So I'm kind of curious if MSI is, is overbuilding these to support that. I don't think they are because AMD has come out and said anything not X570 uh, when we do a future AGISA update, it's it's going to disable PCIe 4.0 on anything other than that. But I wonder if there's mm-hmm. going to be some some changes there because you know msi is offering these solid looking boards that will support the entire range of uh, am4 processors from the very very beginning to the very latest yeah and i the other nice thing is that uh well yeah we haven't seen pricing but it's going to be less expensive than your average 570 or well to to put that better uh you're going to get a lot more features uh, at the same price points as you will on a 570 where you're going to be trimming off a lot of extras to try and bring the price down. But one of the other things that they're doing with these is uh, they, they've built their own sort of XMP tool. They call AXMP because they have to. So almost all these boards are going to support DDR4 4133. Uh, whether your Ryzen chip gets along with the particular DIMMs that you buy is a totally different story, but they've got good charts for compatibility. Whereas with your, your previous A320s and B450s especially, that was 3200 if you were lucky. And as we know, Ryzen chips like faster memory. So it's that's kind of nice. And I think it, it's going to be less confusing for some people because it says right on the box, it's a max. It's Ryzen Desktop 3000 ready. I wouldn't say if you've got one that you can flash to work with one of these new or new chips to upgrade to it because it's not really an upgrade but if you're looking at putting together a lower cost system and you still want to have just about everything in the kitchen sink attached to the motherboard it's a nice move so I keep an eye on them and as you said price is going to be a big thing as long as these aren't significantly more than their current models it's a good buy if they're going to add, you know, 15, 20% to the price tag. I may take that back. Hey, and while you're still talking, Jeremy, why don't we talk about Radeon anti lag in real life? What is the actual benefit? Are you seeing word out there of, I don't know if you've had a chance to play with it at all, uh, but. No, because you guys don't send me graphics cards Sorry. for good reasons. We can, we can something to talk about. <laughs> 
But uh, so this is something that in amongst all of the other new features uh, that Navi is offering, this one, at least as far as I saw, didn't get as much press as a lot of the other features that they're doing, uh, like imaging sharpening, for instance. So the idea with this is in certain scenarios, uh, your CPU ends up at least a full cycle behind your GPU. So, or sorry, a full frame. If you're playing a, a Twitch game like Counter-Strike Go and you're doing it multiplayer and you're trying to win matches to climb a ladder, the, the tiniest little bit of input lag l- translates to you not winning. The idea with this is in those cases where you are at a point where the CPU is, you know, waiting for, for the GPU to draw the next frame, you know, which by the time it communicates to it, comes back, gets up to your screen and you click the mouse, can be 10 to 15 milliseconds. Their idea is that they get these things happening a little more simultaneously. And in some cases, uh, for the average gamer, they were actually seeing a drop. Not a huge drop, but, you know, honestly, going from 21.7 to 19.7 is going to have an effect on your your game if that's what you're doing. If you're an average gamer, it's not something you're likely to notice so much. But then again, if you're floating around 60 to 90 frames per second, uh, the review that I linked to did see 10 to 15 milliseconds in the best case scenario. Usually, as you can see in front of you right here, you know, four to five is pretty average. So if you're young enough and uh, sensitive enough that you can actually feel a, a little bit of lag between what's happening on the screen and when you get to react to it, it's a free feature. Enable it. Give it a play. See if you like it. See if you enjoy it. It's not enabled by default, and I, I hate to go back to the old days when we complained about AMD and putting turning things on by default until enough complaints made them stop it. There are games where the CPU and the GPU are already synced, in which case it actually is going to add lag to it because now it's running through a software stack and then back. And that, again, you know, 10 to 15 milliseconds, if you if you actually can feel it, it's a wonderful little thing to enable. Otherwise, I, I don't think I'm going to notice it. But it, it's a nice little addition, and it's something that NVIDIA doesn't have yet uh, a, a competitor to. So give her a shot. Let me jump and, in here real quick. Uh, Jeremy, yeah, your Joe. neighbor listening to music or something? So my neighbor's son has just moved in today because he got kicked out of a, his mom's place and he needs to find a job and live with dad. So apparently they're having a bit of a party up there. Okay. I was, I, I, I hear, I'm hearing that low rumble like you hear when you're drunk at a, <laughs> yeah. at a party in the back. I, I, I'm pretty sure he's showing off his sound bar right now. Cool. Okay. Just making sure I'm not going crazy. Awesome. No, it's, it's going to be an interesting couple Good of Lord, weeks. Good Lord, showing off your sound bar. Could you be any worse of a person? Dude, listen no, to how good can't. this sound bar sounds when I really turn up the bass. Yeah. I live. And honestly, live he's got the bass on it cranked up so badly. A bit lame. I live the good news is my sound system can kick his his to death. And it's it's old ancient giant box speakers. Uh, oh, that's, and, better than, this morning. 3 that's better than stock car audio speakers. 
I live in an area, I grew up in an area and still live fairly nearby where driving around in your car with your sub going in the back is like the coolest thing you can ever do. And Mm -hmm. that's apparently what everybody thinks because there's ridiculous, you know, volume of bass of music I would never personally choose to listen to. But uh, when the guys go by with stock sound systems and their windows rolled down and they have the volume all the way up and it's distorting horribly and there's no perceptible bass whatsoever. It is less impressive. I have decided. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah rural okay, Ontario this... was something a, a guy, because the Volkswagen bug had the engine in the front replaced yeah. the entire back with speakers. Uh, he blew his old windows out numerous times because that's not what you do in a VW bug, but it, it was amusing. I thought the bug had the engine in the back. Yes. Uh, what I mean, did he, he had, have? He had the, under the front, he had a yeah. sound system? Wow. Okay, mm-hmm. Jeremy, you also wrote up news of what to me seems insane. Is there any validity to the rumor that Apple and Qualcomm, like not Apple and Qualcomm, but like Apple could be purchasing rights to Intel's 5G patents. Like, are they going to buy the 5G patents after Intel could not produce a working 5G part by some accounts, if you read uh, semi-accurate? Or is it that... I'm pretty sure I, Apple used it? some of the Intel modems in their last uh, batch of phones. Right, but they weren't 5G. And may have like, downclocked the uh, other ones so that they didn't show off how much better is, they were? That is correct. They did actually uh, do that. Now, this is my favorite bloody soap opera for the last, you know, ever since Oracle gave up on suing the entire world and their dogs. Uh, The Qualcomm Apple thing has just been wonderful to watch. And especially when, like, they start knocking it up and knocking it up. It's like, yeah, $30 billion worth of penalties. Like, are you kidding me? This is insanity. And they're still doing it with straight faces and are completely arguing. And then all of a sudden, one day, just sort of, you know what? That's it. We're 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 calling it a draw. Uh, you don't, you, Qualcomm. You know, we're not suing anything. And you, you guys, you know, you can keep license, charging us the license fees that you have been that we've been screaming about for the last decade or so. And as I'm sitting there, blown away as this happens, it was not four hours later that Intel announced, yep, yeah, that's it. We're out of the 5G biz. We're, ju- we're just not going to screw around with cell modems anymore. And it's just, what in the hell is going on here? We already know that your modem stuff isn't that great. We already know that your mobile stuff was hidden a while ago. Uh, not quite as bad as Microsoft and their breakup with uh, a certain unnamed cell phone company. But, you know, still, they, they just distance themselves completely upon it and they blew you know one and a half billion dollars to pick up infineon not that long ago intel did so it was a big nasty just something you didn't want to talk about especially being intel that wins at everything and so now we've got a rumor going around this week that apple has offered a billion dollars to pick up what remains of Intel's modem biz. So definitely their IP, possibly a couple of uh, employees. We don't know. It's, it's an incestuous business. So people move around. This makes sense in a way because it means they don't have to go back to Qualcomm 
and they don't have to pay the licensing fees for Qualcomm that they've been complaining about for forever. But on the other hand, it, it's it's Intel sort of saying, yeah, we're going to sell it at a loss. And Apple saying, you know, we're so mad at Qualcomm, we're going to take something that has been proven to be an ineffective solution that is nowhere near as good as what Qualcomm is offering in the previous generation. And God only knows what it's going to look like in this new generation where Qualcomm has been going completely balls out and Intel has just been letting it sit and rot for the better part of eight, six, eight months now. And then on top of this all, there's this wonderful little thought in the back of my head going, so maybe they're picking it up so they can put out the 5G iPhones for the next generation and start suing Qualcomm again because they don't have to depend on Qualcomm providing them silicon. And we'll just see this all kick up again in three or four months or a year. Oh, yeah, probably. It, it, it's just, like I say, it's the best friggin' soap opera that I have seen and I don't know how long, well, since soap came out, uh, as I alluded to in the... <laughs> the post it's going to be very interesting to see what happens and i I do in a way feel sorry for uh the apple fanatics that will be out there and buying the first 5g iphone only to find out that yeah it's it's uh it's 4g plus intel inside yeah sorry Uh, 5g e (laughs) oh yes 5g not 4g plus sorry right yeah yeah Yeah. I, I so can still hear was... the music from Soap in my mind. Do, 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 do. Yeah, anyway, moving along. Damn good Corsair. show. Corsair. Corsair. Origin. Origin, maker of Boutique. Merge. I wonder where they're going to get all of their cases, power supplies, memory, possible storage from at Origin now. Yeah, huh. I wonder. Yes, Rock, yeah. obviously. Good for them. Corsair, Elgato. That was big. Because anybody who's out there on YouTube streaming, anybody who's on Twitch streaming, probably using an Elgato product of some kind. Those those switchers are very popular. Of course, I'm so with it. I don't even know what they're called at the moment. Uh, Stream Deck, I think. And then, of course, things like the Cam Link. I'm using a Cam Link 4K to capture video from the Sony A6000 camera that I'm using right now. And that that was huge. Now they have Origin, which is one of the big... I mean, Origin, Falcon Northwest, there's a few brands out there. But, you know, that's quite the... Uh, I don't know. Is it a purchase? Or the, is it a... Mer- I would imagine this is more of a... Yeah, they, they bought straight it. out bought they it. Bought them. They bought them. Yeah. yeah. But they're going to... The Origin will continue doing what they did. Uh, and Corsair likely will continue doing a because Corsair's had two or three lines of pre-built systems but that's more or less about it they were pricey it, oh yeah well Origin isn't exactly uh, super cheap either but on the other hand with them you got um, a good five year warranty uh, 24-7 text support and a lot of fun stuff so it's going to be interesting to see IQ through all of the Origin ecosystem because, uh, you know, it's going to happen. Hey, speaking of the Origin ecosystem, what about the big O? Yeah, I wanted to mention that. The big well, you o. can't buy it. 
This is a oh. proof of concept. Sorry. Come on. It's also oh. a copyright violation for us uh, fans of the Expos. But that's a different problem. So yeah, Origin stuck a PS4, an Xbox One X, a Nintendo Switch, and a gaming PC in a single enclosure. Because they could. I like the slot for the Switch on the front. That's hilarious. Yeah. So Origin well, knows what they're doing. Yeah. yeah. Corsair making some big moves. I mean, the same it's thing with Elgato. Move. They bought Elgato and they said they're still going to be running their own thing, doing Elgato stuff. We just own them now. And the same thing with Origin now. So pretty soon, everything will be owned by Corsair. <laughs> I assume. And they, 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 they doubled still their order for you and a CPU. So. Yeah. Hey, let's get to our picks of the week since we're at the about an hour and 20 mm-hmm. minute mark at this point. Yeah. Please. Who wants to go first? Jeremy, you're first on the list. Give a pick. Hooray! This is something I stumbled across that kind of friggin' amused me because anyone who's thought about doing 10 gigabit networking at home and has looked at the price of a Switch has probably had to buy new pants. It's just what it is. So this is not the prettiest solution, but it's effective. What he's done, uh, and you can follow through uh, the links to see how he did it, is essentially fitted out each computer with two uh, 10 gigabit interfaces and plugged in an SFP plus, uh, an adapter which will let you connect via Fire Bear. At 120 bucks total uh, bought off of eBay for the, the six connectors that he needs uh, and the fiber between it, he is now running full 10 gigabit Ethernet and just happily transferring stuff. He's got a NAS at home. It's not going to be for everyone, uh, unless you just enjoy doing that sort of fun stuff. But (laughs) if you are running a NAS and you've started to notice that, you know, Cat6 just ain't doing it for you and you're not willing to be dropping six, seven hundred dollars on a Switch couple of used uh, 10 gigabit Ethernet cards, a couple of SSP cords or wires and interfaces, and away you go. Crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. beyond me completely, but <laughs> it's an interesting concept. What do you think about the 2.5G and, and 5G? I mean, I don't uh, know if the support's going to be there for it. How much, is it going to be less expensive? You know, I, I get made fun expensive. of by not having 10G in the house, so I'm just looking no, to it, save face. <laughs> A year, I think it was actually at this, maybe it was at last year's CES. We, we were talking to the Rivet guys, and they were talking about 2.5G stuff coming up, right. which they were excited about, because they're like, it's, yeah. it's, it's like free performance. We can use the same Cat6 cables. It's yep. just faster. Yep. It doesn't really cost mm-hmm. much more, if any more, at all for the NIC. So it's just a way to give you like 2.5X the speed. And the, obviously the switches would be less expensive if they're not having to invest a new... Uh, hardware if they just have to be like ratified to work at the higher data throughput rate. So, I mean, we're, I, I don't know where all the 2.5 and 5G switches are. I haven't done That's any it. That's it, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But there are nicks out there on I got a motherboard that has 2.5G that I'm ready to test. Yeah. Oh, yeah. nice. 1G network. I, I don't want to pay $500 for a switch right now. No, I exactly. 
no. painful to transfer a gigabit these days. Because think about it. The theoretical max, like the most I've ever gotten out of that, you're somewhere in like the 100, 110 megabyte per second range. Yeah. Yeah, 125 so, if you're lucky. 100, 110. Yeah. I've, yeah, my own setups with probably inferior equipment, I'm doing like 110, but it's it's painful. And you're transferring like huge files, like image backups and doing like archives. And when I do like Steam backups and stuff, it's like I would love to do it over the NAS, but I still use local storage because a, a, even a hard drive at USB 3 is still faster. I'm doing like 170 right. to 200 megabytes a second on a Western yeah. Digital external hard yep. drive. Yeah. So. I would love a 2.5G switch right now and then wire it all up and get 2.5X the speeds. That would be fantastic. But we I'm really just wondering what the holdup is. This yeah. you could actually do today. Or, yeah. well, you know, as soon as it arrives from eBay. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. All right. Josh. Me. Uh, you know, I there are many places around the web that the, uh, the R9 3700X has sold out well oddly enough amazon finally got their shipments in and it's at msrp you can get the ryzen 7 3700x which is probably the best overall price performance of of the lineup if you're willing to pay that much i mean i like the 2600 the 3600x and the 3600 plane those are both fantastic parts but if you want you know i think this is the better one than the 3800X, which doesn't net you all that much more performance. But mm-hmm. this is this is where it's at if you really want to hit the sweet spot. And they oh, have the 3600 is pretty good still. Yeah, it is. Actually, it's weird. The 3600, I would recommend the 3600X. Actually, not worth the extra money. The next bump up, 3700, wow, the 3700X is... Or yeah, is actually worth it. Yeah, it is. It's a great CPU, and it's the eight core that's only sixty five watts. Yeah. So, i I would love to say that means it has tons of overclocking headroom. I've not tried. I kind of doubt that it would. But it's it's the one that's going to be the easiest to integrate in almost any system, including ultra thin small form factor, like I was talking about before. So, I really like that one. I got a thirty seven hundred X and a thirty nine hundred X from AMD for our review, and. Mm. The the power you get out of that thing for legitimately low power draw, it's, it's rated at 65. My total system at the wall, including the GPU and everything, once you factor in, you know, about a 90, what, 90, what is nine, the 80 plus gold efficiency rating and all that other stuff. So I think my load was. You'll be saving pennies a year. In the wall. <laughs> well, I mean, it. Yeah, well, there's slight power savings, but really, to me, it's about the cooler. The cooler it comes with is yeah. more than sufficient. But you could go down to those small form factors. I think this is just a great PC, uh, like the great basis for a PC of almost any size. Whereas with the 3900X, you probably want to put a beefier cooler on that thing. And you, if you're an enthusiast and you're spending $500 for a processor, you might be interested in overclocking and you're not going to be getting the highest boost clocks out of that thing if you're thermally constrained so anyway yeah i like the 3700x a lot especially since the gains over a 2700x were really big just massive generation to generation and it's it's the same price as the 2700x was still that 329 msrp so 
Sorry to steal your pick, Josh. I'm talking over you. No, you're fine. Go ahead. Move along. Okay. I'll I'll go. I'll go. That way you can back back clean up. So in keeping with uh, the concept of cheap spinning rust uh, and that uh, a SATA drive is faster than gigabit, it's still, you know, uh, economical to buy yourself a a local drive and $99 uh, with coupon for five terabytes isn't bad. It's pretty decent. That's nice. $35 off with that coupon. Are those... I'm actually not so, familiar at all with the Toshiba drives. Are those like Helium, like HGST drives or... I, I think it's I think it's that I think it's that technology. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. That is cheap for five gigs. Yeah. 99 for five or five terabyte. Or five um, terabytes. Sorry. Yeah. Five, five terabyte. Yeah. Good for local, local storage. You build yourself a... You know, a network, you know, a NAS, it's you know, populate a, you know, a, yeah. a system for backups, those, those, you know, libraries, those, those, those libraries. Aren't, those aren't helium. Those are eight those terabytes are and above. Oh, okay. Oh. But that's still a really good price. And uh, I have a Toshiba X300 4 terabyte in my uh, machine for a gaming drive. It's fantastic, especially for the price I, I paid for it at the time. Yeah. I've had uh, Toshiba's for a long time, many years to for spinning and, and really hasn't caused much of a problem, not like some of the different drives. The Toshiba's seem to have lasted pretty pretty well. Hmm. Yeah, which makes it odd that they're offering a two-year warranty on it. Because my experience has also been that Toshiba's are pretty solid. Yeah. Uh, did they list the MTBF on there? I didn't see it. No, I just saw the includes Toshiba two-year limited warranty. I'm looking it up. Well, the excitement of looking things up. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, one anyway, million hours. What? Okay. Yeah, uh, it's impressive. Let's let's move on really quick. Uh, the headphones I'm wearing right now uh, are these AKG K240s. These have been dropping and dropping. I think at one point they were like 120 bucks. I bought these at 69, thinking, "Oh, I got a deal," and now they're under 50 dollars on Amazon as I look today, which is upsetting. But forty eight twenty two is the current price on Amazon. Uh, if if it hasn't changed by the time you're actually listening to this or watching, holy crap, it. that's that's cheap. They're really cheap. Got, These are nice headphones. I mean, I got a sound, G two. The sound is good. They're they're like Grado, but with a lot more bass, kind of. <laughs> Although softer highs, it's hard to describe. They have the same sound my signature AKG. as my Boston Acoustics A twenty six speakers, kind of like polite top end, very warm, still detailed. Very comfortable. They're these sort of self-adjusting. They have uh, elastic bands kind of in them. And it's a similar setup to the Audio-Technica ATH-700X headphones that I have. A little bit heavier than those, but still it's kind of like suspended over your head. And then this this band up here is like stability and you're actually resting on the the softer vinyl band down here. But anyway. Okay, you've got to shave your you head. And see how comfortable it is, and let me know. I don't want to do that again. Well, they do that seem was... to have messed up your hair at the beginning. I, they did. I, well, yeah, I didn't. I didn't do. I didn't plan very well tonight. Okay, and it, let's just put it at that. Leave it at that. Uh, you need some nice headphones. Yeah, nice headphones at forty eight twenty two. They were nice headphones at sixty nine dollars, and now they're only forty eight twenty two. So, for now, but yeah, well. Nobody else has anything else. Uh, Definitely keep watching the site. We have more stuff coming, a lot more things to get to. We're almost through Ryzember, and I still haven't done the Ryzen 5 3600X. 
There's the new Zen Plus uh, Ryzen with uh, Radeon graphics stuff. I think I have the 3400G. I need to get mm-hmm. to compare that to the previous gen, see what kind of improvements to the CPU they might have been able to do, how fast is the GPU on that, and just a bunch of other stuff. We've got some cases. NZXT has a new H510 Elite. So there's a lot, a lot coming in the next week or two. Plus, I keep putting this off, but I can't. I have to get to the Corsair Hydro X. At some point, I'm just going to go through the steps and put together my first custom loop because I've actually never done that before. I've always been like on air cooling and sometimes AIO coolers, but it's all the stuff. I've got the, the, the fittings and the cables and the, or the hoses. Does your kid know how to use a fire extinguisher yet? Uh, he knows what they are. He pointed one out okay, to me well, at Barnes & Noble today. Can he dial He's 911? Like, fire! He thinks that yeah, they, so... they produce fire. So, I don't know. But I do have a fire extinguisher. He's going to be sorely disappointed when he wants to start something yeah. on fire with the fire extinguisher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway. Keep checking That's the site. We, you know, we, do this, we do this on Wednesdays. And... Uh, I don't really have anything else to say. Thanks for watching. See you next week. Bye.